So this morning, we are early on in a series that we've been uh, just started last week. And by the way, too, you heard Brian's voice was starting to go out last week. He, he did a nosedive after that, and so he probably couldn't have even spoken today. Um, now, I didn't get a phone call early this morning. That happened once, and I don't need that to happen again. But um, Brian's feeling better now, but uh, yeah, he's feeling rough last week. Got started with thinking about what it looks like for us as believers in Jesus as we need to live together in community. And by community, we're talking about other people. So that's a fairly broad term, but mostly thinking about within the church. And so what we're aiming for today, the the title of today's message is A Unique Community, A Unique God. And what I want to try to convey today is this, that the life that we live as believers in Jesus is lived in connection with others, in community. And this community, the church, other believers in Jesus, is a unique one because it's based on our God being unique. And today we're going to look at two different scriptures that that speak about this thing, about our God being unique, but also our community, what we share with other believers being unique as well. Now, as a way to think a little bit further about this unique piece and how we interact with others, I want to mention an early Christian writer who... um, a writing, pardon me, called the Epistle to Diognetus, I am assuming is how that's said. Now, we don't know who the writer was, but it was around 200 AD, and he wrote a defense of Christians who were being falsely accused of all sorts of things back in that time. Part of what he wrote as a defense was to say that there are some things that Christians have in common with anybody else, the rest of humanity, but there are some things that are unique. And what I loved about this, this writing, and you can, you can look it up online, it's, it's actually fairly easy to, to come across, um, but the writer talked about the things that we share in common, some of the things like clothing, food. See, Christians dress and eat just the same as anybody else. They get married, raise families just like anybody else. And the Christians of that time, just like for us, we live as citizens of a country, and so we live under those laws. But then the writer went on to say some things that were unique. He described some of the ways that believers in Jesus and their community, their their sharing together was unique. He mentioned things like having higher laws that are to be followed, higher than the laws of the country in which we live. Talked about being citizens of a country, but yet having a citizenship in heaven. Very unique sort of thing that the Bible talks about, that we have a dual citizenship. He also talked about treating people regardless of social status with love and care. Now, for us today, we can relate to a lot of those things, right? 21st century America, but we understand those same basic things. That we dress and eat just like other Americans. We get married, have families, we follow the laws of our country, and so on. But we do have higher laws and higher standards that we're to follow. It's not that we always or even regularly get it right, because we don't, right? But the higher laws and standards are what we should live by. And that's the point. We share many things in common with other people, but there are some things about what God does in us and with us that are unique from other people. This is, for example, why it's a big deal if a pastor or some prominent Christian is involved in something shady or just something that's outright wrong. We are held to a higher standard, And that's right. That's how it should be. Sometimes we don't like it if we're the ones that mess up, but that's the way that it should be. 
that there are higher laws and higher standards that we live by. And so with this, just that, this thought in mind, I want to look, begin looking at the first of the scriptures that talk about this idea of a unique community first. So 1 Peter chapter 2, if you have your Bible or device, it will also be up on the screen. So 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. This one is a good example of what this unique community that we're thinking about today is all about. Now, both scriptures are found near the end of the, Old, the New Testament, and both are from letters from two of the apostles of Jesus. Peter and John. So here's how it reads. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy... Now, you have received God's mercy. Now, this is a passage full of Old Testament quotations. You'd have seen the quotation marks up there. Allusions about the unique character of the community that God has pulled together. And for us as believers in Jesus, this would be talking about us. But it was based on what God did with his people in the Old Testament as well. And if you see the names and you put them together, um, the descriptions that are there as well of what what God has done, it all points to this unique community. So it's chosen people, right? For some reason, only God knows he chooses his people. Nothing that we did to deserve it. Royal priests, and that's meaning that through Jesus, as believers, we're able to approach God directly. Fairly straightforward. A holy nation. Now, this is not nation as we typically think about it, but it is more people who are joined together. That's the, the sort of thought of it. We get our word ethnic, actually, from the word in the original language there, but it's a group of joined together people, and then God's very own possession. And so out of all that, it says, as a result, you can show the goodness of God. And so again, the point is, what God has done, right, it's as a result of that, out of all those things, we are able to show God's goodness. That's what he looks for from us. So again, it's just a pretty straightforward kind of thing that we're thinking here. We just don't always think in these kind of terms. But then it goes on. It says our identity is as God's people. And this is quoting from the book of Hosea in the Old Testament, that before we would not have been seen as God's people. But again, out of God's goodness, he has chosen us to be his people. And we become recipients of God's mercy. So again, all these things speak of what God has done, not what anyone has done for themselves or what anyone is born into. No, it comes down to God's initiative with his calling of people out of darkness into his light so that we can point others to God. But there's one other thing that needs to be said about this because this was true for the people of Israel Thousands of years ago, it's been true of Christians, unfortunately, and it's still true today, that there can be a tendency that sometimes we can hold a sense of superiority over other people. This sort of wrong logic goes like this. If we are uniquely viewed by God and we are, we are unique, we must be something special. And so we must be better than other people. You follow that? Unfortunately, I think some people still think that way. It's been around, again, for thousands of years. Um, But it's not right. 
Interestingly, I just heard this um, just in the last couple of weeks from a guy who volunteers in one of the youth ministries in Mannheim, that one of the students that he was, has been spending time with and really working to develop a good relationship, and this student said to him, you Christians think you're better than any, everybody else. And this is even to a guy who really works, he, he genuinely works hard to not come across that way. It's just the point, and I think we all may have heard it in one version or another. So what it comes down to is this. Um, We need to be careful to not think that because we are unique, we have chosen by God, all those things, that we are somehow superior to other people. Nah, it's not that way at all. It's what God has done. See, that's the key thing. It's what God has done. And for any of us, that's why I've got God's grace up there. If it wasn't for God's grace, we wouldn't be in that place. So again, it's just that warning that goes with it. Yes, we are a unique community, but we just we can't be superior about it because we're not. We're just like anybody else. And for whatever reason, God has decided to do these things for us. Now, continuing further with the thought of our uniqueness being based on God, I want to jump into our second scripture. So it's 1 John chapter 4. So again, if you've got your Bible or device, it'll be up on the screen here. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. This one is a good example of the uniqueness of the God that we follow. Now, 1 John, it's another letter from an apostle, right? 1 Peter was from Peter, 1 John from the apostle John, um, and this is what he wrote. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is is love. That amazing little statement there, right? God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. So when we come to passages like this in the Bible that we realize we just get a taste of the uniqueness of God. That is unique from other gods is something we really don't think about today. Historically, that might have been true, um, but really not so much for us today. The uniqueness comes down to this, with what it says here, that God in his very essence, in his very being, is love. Now, there are other things that are said about God, of course. There's many other qualities about him. But his love does set him apart. It's an active love that isn't content to somehow God's up in his heaven and he just issues pronouncements and it's like, right, you peons down here. No, what is especially unique is that in his love, he sent his son to become a human, just like us. And Jesus, being born just like any other baby, Yes, a unique conception, but he was born like any other baby, grew up just like anybody else. He lived, he breathed, he taught, he healed, and he struggled, yet without sinning. And he died and came back to life so that we might have life and have our sins taken away, we who don't deserve it at all. And that's what is so unique about our God and his love. But then it goes on to say that this God who is uniquely loving wants his unique community to show this same kind of love. Again, 
Love one another, for love comes directly from God. Couldn't be much clearer than that, could it? Pretty straightforward. At the same time, if you're sitting there thinking, this is really intimidating, you're right, it is. Because how in the world can people like us love like God? I don't have a clue sometimes. Really, other than God doing something in us and and realizing who we are, that God has loved us, and that we can then somehow begin to show some measure of how much God really loves us. If you feel like other places in the Bible, it's, it's just like this, where God says things like, be holy, just as I am holy. And, and it's like, oh my goodness, how in the world do you begin to do that? But again, it, it's just in some way, as we recognize his love for us, he makes it possible to begin to show that kind of love. But the question also might readily come up that many people all around the world love other people, right? And there's nothing particularly Christian about that, is there? And the answer is both yes and no. Because it is obviously true that people, anybody, all around the world love other people, right? It's just right there. There is, in that sense, there is nothing unique about Love in itself and what God does with us. But the, the no part of that answer is that the type of love that's spoken of here is what's exceptional. That's what's different. The difficulty part of it comes down to only having one word in English for love and that we use it in all sorts of ways, right? We love our sports teams. Those of you who um, like certain teams that are in the Super Bowl, some people around here, because we're near Philadelphia, wouldn't care for that too much, Right? But we love, right, we love our sports teams. We love our pets. We love ice cream, right? I love my wife, and I love my kids. And it's all the same word. <laughs> so that, that's where some of it comes from, I think, is just simply, we just have one word. But in the New Testament, there were at least four words that were used for love. And it was able to distinguish some of these kinds of things. It made a distinction between things like food and people. Between, even among relationships, a friendship and the intimacy of a married couple. So here, it's telling us that this is a different love. This is agape love, is what it's called. And this is the highest level of love that's here. And it's in large part because the people who receive this love are simply to be loved, regardless of being worthy of it or not. Are any of us worthy of receiving God's, uh, of being recipients of God's love? We're not. And for whatever reason, and again, this is the mind of God that we can't fully understand. Why has he chosen to love us? He just has. The Bible doesn't really tell us. He just has. And so for us then to love other people is just to recognize we aren't worthy ourselves, neither is anybody else, but we still want to show what God has done for people that don't necessarily deserve it. And this is where it gets very difficult. Now, I want to just give you three statements that hopefully sum up what this passage tells us about God's love. And the first statement is this. God loves us, period. Right? No, no qualifications, no other statement. He just loves us. We're told this over and over again throughout the Bible. Even to the point where God said, said to his people that his love for them went back to all eternity. Amazing thought, that one. So the question, why does God love us? Is it because we're more special than anyone else? Well, no, it's not. He just does love us. Um, He loves undeserving people. 
simply because none of us could ever do enough to deserve his love. It's the beginning of verse 10, it says, This is real love, not that we loved God. Second statement, God showed his love most fully by sending his son. A couple places in this passage make, make that clear. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world. And he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And so we need to get the order right with this about who loved whom first, right? God took the initiative. He sent his son, and that's how he showed his love. And it was to the extent of him dying for our sins. And the third statement, God's love needs to extend to other people. And this is where we we want to focus here. It's interesting to see in these verses how God links his love with us showing it to others. Where again it says, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. See, love is the most common of the one another's that are in the Bible. There's a lot of them that are there. I think 27 um, that can be counted. And John, more than any other writer in the New Testament, talks about love one another. By far, far and away, the most common one another that's there in the Bible. And so perhaps this link is best shown when we struggle with receiving God's love. Because sometimes we do. We know we really don't deserve it. And, it, and I understand that. For some people, it's really hard. But the thing is that we can receive it. And interestingly, sometimes the most, the most effective way for people to receive God's love is when other people do something out of the ordinary for them. And they show it that way. That's how God's love is shown. That's the kind of link that we're thinking of here. So it's not enough to know these things, but it needs to become personal. Let's say that God loves me and Jesus died for my sins. And then going to the next step, extending beyond ourselves that God loves all people in all sorts of situations and all sorts of cultures. That's why we've got people going to different parts of the world, different places, and Jesus died for every one of them. God wants us to experience his love fully and not keep it to ourselves. Now, I want to bring a clarification here. It's important to say this, that what it, what it can look like to love other people in certain situations. Our usual thinking is that love is on the soft side, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. But what is important is that there are times when love means, to use the phrase, it means it needs to be tough, tough love. We would have heard that phrase. And so it's important that we clarify what, what love in some situations looks like. When someone, here, here's a couple of them. When someone close to you, someone that you love a great deal, you love them deeply, but they're involved in behaviors that just can't be tolerated. Love doesn't mean we give in to them, as hard as that is. To give in, um, that's not the right way to show love in some situations like that. The situations I've been most aware of are where an, where an adult child has been caught up in drugs, And the parents just say, that's it. Tough love means you can't stay here. You can't get any money from us, whatever it might be. And the parents I've known in that kind of situation, that's tough. That's about as hard as it gets for a parent. I've only been involved in one intervention, and I just distinctly remember about 10 years ago, um, a man called and said his son in his 30s, who had been living with he and his wife, um, had started stealing from him. And he figured he's got to be back to drugs again. And that, that, had, that had been his past. So he asked me to be there when he confronted him. 
and asked him to leave. And the, the dad, the man who asked me this, big tough guy, he was a retired Marine, and he was a tough guy. But I'll tell you, he was broken when the time came. And I remember being there. His son was sleeping. We went in the room, woke him up, said, you were stealing. You can't stay here. And in that case, he made him get out. And you might think, how loving is that? Well, I think really, in the end, it was. It was the most loving thing. It's not our usual reaction, but again, the point is to say sometimes love must be tough. It just needs to be. The other situation is when there is abuse of some sort, particularly when a child or someone vulnerable is involved. Again, to keep up regular contact in that type of situation, that's not loving. At best, it's naive, but at worst, it's dangerous. You don't want someone in a situation like that. And sometimes the best thing to do is to bring about a separation. You've got to get the people apart for the protection of the ones that are being abused. There's just no question about it. Again, love sometimes has to be tough. And there's other situations, but I think you understand what I'm saying, right? Um, So love one another, again, it can be in all sorts of ways, all sorts of situations um, in the way that we show it. Now, with expressing our love as a unique community, I want to just make a shift here, and I want to think about what it looks like when we do it together. Now, many of us can show love individually, and a lot of people do. Obviously, there's a lot of things that, that happen all the time, all the time. I love when I hear stories of how somebody's doing something out of the ordinary in a unique way to show love to somebody else. But there are also things that we can do together, and that's some of what I want to uh, just mention a few things here. I want to start with the community needs that are out there. Several years ago, a fund was set up through the Mannheim Ministerial Association that I've been part of for about 12 years, I think, something like that. And the fund was set up to help people in the Mannheim Central School District with some sort of financial need. And one of my responsibilities in my position is that I'm the person who takes calls from people in the community. And um, this is no connection with the church. These are people totally not part of the church. Again, all they have to be is somebody who lives in the Mannheim Central School District. I recently put a report together about 2018 when there were 366 calls that came in, um, and we helped about 120 individuals and families. Again, no church connection, but those are people that we helped in different ways financially. Now, what I've got up on the screen here are a list of the needs that came up, and these are the things in order of the most um, frequent requests that I received. And I'm putting this up here just so you know, in Mannheim, right, as, as recent as it can be, these are the sorts of things that people have as just bringing about some financial need. First one, rent security deposit. No surprise. That's our most, you know, that's our biggest expense every month. But gas, groceries, and food. Some people combining gas and groceries. PP&L. And of course, the next one, this time of year, it's cold. Um, I had one day last week, three calls in one day for heating fuel. So we help, help people that way. Um, and, and it goes on. One other thing, though, and I've mentioned this from up, up here before, that I track the people who call who are facing homelessness or who are actually homeless. And in Mannheim, right, 14 individuals or families last year that were homeless, facing homelessness or they were homeless. So you think, ah, no, that's just in Lancaster, that's just in Philly, big cities. No, it's here. 
And so that's something that we've got to just be aware of. And, and again, I'm going to come back to something that we've, we've, we're starting to do to address that. Now, before I go any further, I want to let you know how I try, right? I try to show God's love to people who call. And again, on average, it was one call a day that I got last year, right? And I'm getting calls from people in all sorts of situations, and frankly, it gets very wearing. Um, my aim is to treat everyone who calls respectfully and fairly. That's, what, that's just how I would want to be treated, and that's how I, I aim to, to um, treat other people. Most of the people I deal with are fine. They're very grateful. Their situations are genuine. They're not trying to pull a fast one. And I've been doing this long enough that I, I know most of the people. I don't get too many new people anymore. I know most of them. But there are a few people who are just simply very difficult to deal with. Sometimes I've entered the people that are in the office, but I remember one time last year, I walked into Dustin's office, I said, remind me why I like my job. Because I don't know what was going on that day, but I probably had a string of them, and I was just feeling worn out. But what it comes down to is this. What I have to remind myself of is that these are real people making these calls. They're not a statistic, right? And these people matter to God. Their needs are genuine and critical, and I have to take each one seriously. Don't always get it right. had a lady who hung up on me this week. She'll call back again. It's not the first time she's hung up on me. I don't think it's going to be the last time she hangs up on me. But um, it's just the nature of of this lady. She's she's probably the most difficult one that I deal with. But she'll be back, and um, I wasn't mean to her. I just said, sorry, I can't help what you need. And... Now, thinking about what I said about homelessness, up on the screen, you'll have heard that we are part of getting a house in Mannheim that's called the Home of Hope. We are working with Arisman Mennonite Church, as well as several other churches um, and some individuals, uh, and closely given guidance by Love, Inc., and we have this house now set up in Mannheim. It's a transition, pardon me, it's transitional housing. And what that means is, compared to emergency housing, if someone is just left on the streets, they're living in their van or whatever, that's emergency housing. They need something right then. And there's only a couple of places in in the county, Water Street and and a place in Ephrata that can provide that. This is transitional housing. So this is for people that are, they've they've hit a bad spot financially, um, and they just need, need a hand up to get back on their feet and a place to live. And so we, we've got people set up. The house itself is ready. It was ready in November. We've got mentors and budget coaches. I thought we'd not have any, we wouldn't have any trouble finding a family. And boy, was I wrong. It, it, and it's not pulling teeth. It's just the timing. You know, I, again, I'm dealing with people regularly who need a place to stay. For various reasons, it just hasn't worked out yet. But it's just to say this to you. We have a house ready. And so if you are aware of anybody that could use this kind of, of help, Again, they've got to be a Mannheim Central resident, and we want to have a priority toward families. Um, but this is in place now. And again, this is working together. This is working with other churches. been an awesome thing to be part of. Another thing, Mannheim Project. You'll have heard us talk about this before. We've been part of it for five years. Or in the summer, we take a week, um, and we do house projects for people. And it's been a great thing to be part of. Last year, or last summer, there were 11 churches that took part, about 150 projects that were done during the week. We're going to be part of it again this coming summer. But we're also looking at adding an additional twist to what we do. And that is on occasion throughout the year, 
Um, people need work done in their houses other than in the last two weeks of July, right? So we're looking at maybe doing like a, a day project or a half-day project, that kind of thing, a few times through the year. So um, if that comes together, you'll be hearing about it, and um, hopefully we'll be able to do that kind of thing. Another thing, collectively, um, early December was last time I was up front. We just started the Giving Tree Collection Now, the number was put in the bulletin. Um, This is where, in December, we were collecting donations for various needs that people have, uh, gift cards, that kind of thing. The total that came in was $21,265.60. Even got 60 cents in there. Um, That was about $4,700 more than what we collected last year. And I can tell you, I'm I'm the primary person who distributes them. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing, and I anticipate well into the year um, that I will be able to make use of these gift cards and donations. They've already started going out, again, time of the year with the cold weather and all of that, um, especially the heating fuel. One thing, though, that's really special about it is, and thinking because we're in tax season, right? Um, $6,000, just over $6,000 of that 21000 was in gift cards, and those are not tax deductible. And I got to tell you, that's pretty special. Uh, you know, that people were giving in that kind of way without thinking about some tax deduction that they could get through it. So, again, very special part of it. And one last thing to mention along this line anonymous gifts. One of the best parts of my job, or when I get to be the messenger boy for when somebody wants to do something for someone else and they want to do it anonymously. So they'll contact me. And this happens every year at Christmas that I've been on the staff. Um, I get several families uh, that contact me and say, we would like to just get a bunch of gifts for some family. Do you know of someone? And generally, that's a pretty easy thing for me to come up with, somebody who could use that kind of help. So that's been a very special thing. Get a box of gifts um, that somebody gives to bless another family. Um, Not long ago, somebody had um, butchered a beef. They wanted to give two quarters of beef away to a couple of families. Again, I went to the butcher shop delivered a bunch of beef to two families. Pretty awesome thing to be able to do that kind of thing. There have also been occasions when a number of people have quietly helped to fund renovations for people, to help buy a van, all sorts of things. These all happen under the radar. You know, but that's part of why I think it's important that you know there are things like this that do go on. And so if you're one of those ones who either you might need help yourself or you would like to bless somebody else, just come talk to me. Um, doesn't need to be at Christmas either. Um, it can be other times of the year. So, community. A unique community, a unique God. This is what it's about. We, we are individual as Americans, but we need each other. And so, in the next few weeks, we're going to be thinking through this more. We'll be looking at other scriptures. What does it mean for us to deal with other people? Sometimes in the church, sometimes... The people, again, that we run across at work, the people at school, whatever it might be. See, we're all necessary to each other. Sometimes we we think, ah, it can just be me and God and I'll be okay. Well, we really do need each other. What we've looked at today is just one part of this big and important topic, but I think I can sum it all up in this way. The Lord loves us, he forgives us, and he accepts us. Even when we don't feel very loving or forgiving or accepting. And he looks for us to interact with other people in those same ways. This is what we're thinking about. So let me lead us in a prayer. 
to this unique God and for us as his unique community and how we put this into practice. Lord, thank you that you are a God who did not stay distant. Thank you that you sent your son and you made him human. Jesus lived and breathed just like any, anybody else. But he was so much more than that. God in human flesh. Thank you for that. And thank you for what he did in his death and in his resurrection. And as we, as your unique community, not because of anything we've done to deserve it, just simply as your people, may we express your love. May we show what you've done for us to other people. And Lord, we all know how tough it is. It just is. It's really, really difficult sometimes. Help us to be constantly alert to your grace, alert to the needs of people around us, and just simply to be your people in our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.